Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today, though, is How to Kill Your Giants. How to Kill Your Giants, 1 Samuel 17. Are you facing a giant today? Anybody here? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) We can probably raise two hands, right? A giant spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. There's lots of giants that we face. A challenge to your faith. A giant that is a challenge to your faith. A seemingly impossible trial. A huge temptation. Last week we talked about giant faith, and if you weren't here for last week, make sure you listen because it's really part one to this one. It's actually part two after, with first with Joshua 11. But make sure you listen to that. But today we're going to talk. We talked about giant faith. Today we're going to talk about how to kill the giants in our life, how to defeat the giants in our life. And we are in Joshua 11. And when we were in Joshua 11, we saw the Anakites. Remember the giants. And land, and how Joshua, who is a picture of Jesus, a type of Jesus, how he wiped them out of the promised land. But some survived. Where did they survive? Remember? In the Philistine territory. They survived, some of the, the descendants survived in the Philistine territory, including in Gath, which we'll see today. Which is why I want to jump ahead to 1 Samuel 17 for the rest of the story. Some of you remember that. And where we find David, another type of Christ. Joshua is a type of Jesus. David is also another type of Jesus Christ, a picture of Jesus Christ, an Old Testament picture of what Jesus was going to do. We find David killing one of the last, baddest giants of all. And this is a picture of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus, the son of David, defeating Satan, defeating sin, and defeating death for us. It's a picture of that. We talked about that already in Joshua. In Goliath, here's an example. Goliath mocked Israel for 40 days before David defeated him. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness 40 days before Jesus defeated him. It's all a picture of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for a place to worship, bringing us here. A lot of us had to fight our way through giants just to get here. Every one of us, really. We just pray that for your mercy and grace, Lord, and that you would give us hope today and give us the faith to keep on fighting the spiritual battles that we need to fight, to keep moving forward in Jesus Christ into victory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's an outline there in your bulletin. You can follow along, and I call it the three R's of giant killing. The three R's. So you can kind of follow along and keep that. But 1 Samuel 17, we'll start picking up with verse 1, where it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soko and Azekah, and Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. 
Those in, in Israel, visited Israel, do you remember the Valley of Elah? Remember seeing that? It's just a wild valley there. You could see a, a, a battle being fought. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath was a monster. He was big and scary and probably hairy. Over nine feet tall, he would have made LeBron James look like, well, like me. His armor coat alone weighed 125 pounds, probably as much as David weighed himself. His spear was longer than David was tall. He had a little tree he carried, right? Goliath had quite a reputation. In fact, in rabbinic literature, I'm going to read you something that says about Goliath. This is legend. It may be true, it may not be, but it shows you what his reputation was. And rabbinic literature records, this isn't, once again, biblical, but it records many legends about Goliath. This is from Wycliffe, a Bible commentary. A great Bible tool if you don't have the Wycliffe tool. According to, the, according to these legends, his mother was Orpah. Where'd she come from? Book of Ruth? Remember Ruth, number one? This is the legend. His mother was Orpah, who walked 40 paces with Naomi and Ruth and then returned home to a sinful life in Moab. Goliath was born of her illegitimately. He boasted of having slain Eli's two sons and that he had stolen the ark of the Lord of uh, the ark of Israel in 1 Samuel 4. So this is a lot of the, the legends and stories being told about him. Whether it's true or not, he was a scary guy. He had quite a reputation. He was the boogeyman in Israel. Eat your vegetables or Goliath will get you. you know, he, was, uh, he was the boogeyman. He had everybody intimidated. In fact, let's pick it up with verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all... The Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The Hebrew word for champion here for Goliath is, means man of intervals. It's a middleman. He was a middleman. The Philistines were descended from the, anybody remember? Anybody know? The Greeks. Anybody read Greek literature? Remember Greek literature? They'd always send out, each army would send out a champion to fight each other. And they would do that, the Greeks would do that to save, it was the economy of soldiers, instead of killing off a whole army. Well, just one guy will lose one guy and we'll all go home. And the, let the gods decide. That's how they decided these, these fights. Let the gods decide. 
Uh, but many times they didn't keep the deal, as we're going to see the Philistines. Don't ever trust the devil. And so for 40 days, Goliath mocked. He mocked. The word Goliath means soothsayer. Soothsayer. That's someone who tells the, uh, the future, a fortune teller. A fortune teller. But he bet he never saw this boy, David, and the rock coming, did he? He never saw that coming, the stone coming. Soothsayers were banned in Israel because they were demonic. And anybody who claims they can tell the future, that's a de- the Satan, if it's not just a fake thing, they're just doing it you know, to be tricksters. But if they actually have that, that ability to, to, to see something, that's a demonic thing that Satan uh, gives. And he was a tool of Satan. That's why I hope you never go to fortune tellers or read horoscopes or anything like that because that's all from Satan. It's demonic. Um, he was a tool of Satan and he was used by Satan to mock, to mock God. Just like many in the USA today mock God and his word. In fact, in Philippians three eighteen, it says, the, the Apostle Paul describing that time, and it describes perfectly now, For as I have told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Does that describe many, many, many in our country today? Many, many. And that was Goliath. Goliath mocked. So what did the Israelites do? And back to 1 Samuel 17, verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Then down to verse 20. Early in the morning David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions. Shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. <laughs> when Goliath mocked, the Israelites ran. They were just playing at war, weren't they? They all came out, did the battle cry, cheering, you know, and we're going to go, well, let's get them today, guys. And Goliath comes out and they all ran. They were just playing at war. Imagine the Super Bowl next week and the Eagles come out of the tunnel and they're all cheering and chanting and cheering and they come running out and they see Tom Brady and they, they turn around and run back in. <laughs> May it never be, quoting Paul. We laugh at the, that possibility because we know it's not possible. In fact, uh, we know, already know the Eagles are going to win because someone sent me a good Who sent me that one? Said uh, the Eagles, yeah, thank you, Paul. Sent me a thing. The Eagles are, Eagles are mentioned 33 times in Scripture and Patriots not even once. So we're in good shape. <laughs> and God calls himself an eagle many times. So I feel pretty confident. But I'm not prophetic. Don't hold me to it. But we'll be stoned next, you know, next week. 
We laugh, but that's what Israel did. That's exactly what they did. And it's exactly what so many times we do. We get pumped up at church, (laughs) but then we, we get out of church and we run from the battle during the week. We back down from the spiritual attacks. We surrender in the face of temptation. We're undercover Christians. Instead of being salt and light, instead of speaking the truth in love, instead of doing that, we play it cool. We play it cool. Nobody here, but there's a lot of Christians I know like that. We must stop playing and pretending and start living and fighting the spiritual battles because we are in a real spiritual war facing a real enemy who makes Goliath look like nothing. Goliath's a type of Satan, right? But the real guy is a lot scarier. David didn't run away. Let's see what David did, and there's some lessons for us. In fact, when we see what David did, there's three R's in the outline that you have it, the three R's of giant killing. The first one is in verse 26, where it says, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. David realized, the first R is he realized that Goliath was mocking God. David saw the real issue and he realized that it wasn't just some armies fighting, it was a spiritual Battle. Our struggle with sin and temptation is a spiritual battle. Our church battles, whether we're battling outside forces or attacks, outside attacks or divisions within, they are spiritual battles. Satan's trying to attack the church. In the USA today, many think, oh, it's just politics. It's Democrats versus Republicans. It's, you know, culture wars. It's not. It's a spiritual war for the soul of our country. When we're, we're trying to battle the sexual sin, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual or pornography, whatever it is, that tsunami that we're facing as a country is a spiritual war. Read Romans 1. <laughs> you want to see what we're facing standing up against evolution in your school or college. That's a, that's an, it's, not a, it's not philosophical. It's a spiritual battle that we came from. Monkeys are trying to replace God. That's all it is. They're trying to erase God. It's a spiritual battle. Trying to save the lives of babies. It's not political. It's a spiritual battle. Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. And that's why anybody who follows Christ has to be trying to save lives. Especially the most innocent. Because this is a spiritual battle. Read the Old Testament. All the sacrifices to Moloch that they did with the babies. That was, that was satanic. And we're just carrying on the tradition of it. Defending Israel is a spiritual battle. 
protect, standing up for the persecuted church. I hope you read the, the blog that I forwarded this week from, from Terry. It's a spiritual battle that we're going to be facing not too long. We are in a, it's not culture wars, it's not political, it's spiritual, spiritual, moral. David realized this, that, it was, that he was in a spiritual battle and that God was being mocked and it made him mad. Which made someone else mad. It made him mad, but it made someone else mad. Let's look at verse 28. 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with a man, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Wait, I'm going to read this the way it was really done. Why have you come down here? <clears throat> Somebody have water? Thank you. And with whom did you... <clears throat> Sorry, just ran a long ways. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how <clears throat> conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. <clears throat> and, 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 and you came down only to watch the battle. He was out of breath because he just got done running. That's what he was really saying it like. He could hardly breathe. He just ran a long ways. All the way away and now all the way back to David. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. His brother is mad at David when he should have been mad at who? Goliath. And really, deep down, he was mad at himself. He knew the, 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 what he was doing. Don't expect others to encourage you when you stand up and stand out for Jesus Christ. Even many Christians. Don't expect it. Your faith... Our faith will always irritate the faithless. It convicts them. It convicts their lack of faith, their retreat mentality. I know when we, remember back when we started the church and all the attacks we went through, and, and some of the biggest critics that we had were other churches. Some of the biggest critics. Now, some were just apostate churches. You can't even count them as churches. They, they don't preach the gospel or believe the word anymore. But some were really Christ, were Christians. And they would say, don't make waves. Don't be so radical. Be careful what you, what you say and what you preach. And we were doing it. We are just preaching the gospel, you know, and what it means. And I remember there was one couple who was here for a little bit but the husband was on the fence spiritually and and so he just wasn't comfortable here you know just preach from the bible right so she, she lugged them off to another church near here an evangelical church that was cool and 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 i couldn't understand i said why is he so because she really wanted to be here and she said i'm really sorry but my husband doesn't want to be here you know something's really bothering him here and i go well what's the deal why why can he go to that church and not here What's, I don't understand, because both the evangelical churches, he goes, well, Chuck, it's like they say, they believe the same things you believe, but they just don't say them. They're real careful with what they say. That's called false teaching, by the way. Paul, the apostle Paul said, he was innocent of the blood of all men, why? Because I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. The whole will of God. So, we don't want to be careful, Christians. 
or cool Christians. We, we, you know, which is what they're saying. That's what they said to us. Be, be cool. Be careful. You know, be careful. Don't make the giant mad. The reason you're having trouble there in New Hope is you're making the giant mad. Don't make the giant mad. Don't, they're only bad-mouthing God. <laughs> they're, they're only talking so far, right? Glad they're only talking so far. Don't make them mad. Well, that so far is coming to fruition in this country. Let me tell you something. So David is mad, which makes Eliab mad, which makes David even madder. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 29, Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? Typical big brother, little brother, right? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. God has a sense of humor. If you don't see the humor in the Bible, you, you, got, you got to see it. God has a sense of humor. He's saying, in your face, Israel. Why? Because back in 1 Samuel uh, 8, they said, we don't want you, God, anymore. We want a real king. We want a real king. In fact, in, well, let's just look back at verse, chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 6, they said, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, This displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Down in verse 19, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, now here it is, We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. God has a sense of humor. God is saying, here is the king you elected to fight your battles. He's hiding in his tent. He just sent for a shepherd boy. God's word always comes around, doesn't it? Always comes around. We think we get away with it. We think that we can. Nothing happens immediately. Well, didn't mean, didn't mean anything. Didn't do, nothing happened. I'm still here. God's word always comes around. Always. Guaranteed. Then we see verse, let's pick, go back to 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out and fight against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been fighting. He has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been Keeping his father's sheep, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. 
You talked me into it. Saul, you talked me into it. The Lord be with you because he obviously wasn't with Saul anymore, was he? We know that. David says, I don't care what man says. I don't care what Eliab says. I don't care what you say, Saul. I will fight this giant. And he was prepared. How was he prepared? Fighting lions and bears. Saving sheep. God was using this to prepare him. He prepared him for the big one by fighting these off. Every little battle that you fight has huge implications. It's not just giving in to this little temptation. It's not just quitting on this. It's not just being disobedient on this area. It is, it's not just fighting your way through something. Every little battle prepares us for the next bigger battle. And just like every little compromise weakens us and leads to a bigger compromise. People don't just crash when you see somebody crash spiritually. There's been many, many little compromises. And we don't just show up and win a great spiritual victory in our life. It's lots of little battles, fighting tooth and nail. David says... I'm going, and I'm going in God's strength, which leads us to the second R, which is that David relied on God's strength. Look at verse 37 again. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, Boy, is that prophetic. He put a coat of honor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. (laughs) Because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his... Staff in his hand. Chose five smooth stones from the stream. Put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David relied on God's strength. It'd be like the Super Bowl next week. Nick Foles gets hurt. <laughs> we hope that doesn't happen. But what are we going to do, right? And so they say, well, here, get the water boy. We'll get one of the little team managers here. We'll bring him up here, and we'll put him at quarterback. But uh, I, I don't want to wear the helmet or the pads. I'm not used to them. Okay, go on out there. <laughs> that sounds crazy. That's exactly what David did. Only it's a lot scarier what he did. But David is making a statement here. They didn't help you, Saul. They didn't help you. You're still hiding in the tent. So I'm not going to use them either. He realized, he relied on God's strength. It's not man's armor or weapons, but God's weapons that are needed to kill our giants. God's weapons are meant to humble the weapons of this world. What did Samson use? The jawbone of a donkey. 
David uses slinging stones. Many, many other stories in scripture, the same thing. David didn't look dangerous to Goliath. Oh, wait till we read that. He didn't look dangerous. But he did have a sling, and those slings go round and round, and they shoot up this rock about 100 miles an hour. He also had practiced. I'm sure it was very boring out there watching those sheep. Why am I here, God? Why do you have me here? I'm bored. Clank, clank. Just kept shooting those, and then he got to use them. He used them to protect the sheep. And he had supernatural aim. Because he relied on God's strength. Look at verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He was probably big and ugly, you know. So anyway, he despised David, a good-looking young guy, right? And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He really could tell the future. He just had the wrong guy. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David relied on God's strength. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. He relied on God's strength. Are we relying on God's strength? In our battles, what do we turn to? Do we turn to the world's answers? Or do we turn to God and rely on his strength, his grace, Hebrews 4.16, I know you all have this memorized. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are we relying on God's grace, on his weapons, on his power? How did Jesus fight Satan in the desert when he faced Goliath? 40 days, 40 nights, how did Jesus face him? What did he, what did he do to fight Satan? Quoted scripture and he was praying and fasting. Scripture and prayer. And sometimes I'll talk to somebody and I'll say, yeah, but that's not going to help me. I, I don't need, you know, I, got, I, need a, I need a pill or I need a, this or I need a that or I need something. And I'm like, that's not going to help. That's not going to do anything. I'm like, oh, and I love it when they, I don't love it, but I love to answer that. 
I say, so, so you're telling me you, you know better than Jesus is what you're saying. You're, you're telling me that you can do it without, do it better than Jesus. Because Jesus, the son of God, needed God's word and he needed prayer. But, but you know, you need something else. You know better than Jesus. That always cuts through it real quick, right? But don't we do the same thing? We, turn, we do the same thing. We turn to other things instead of what the, the most important thing. No matter what battle we are fighting, we better face it with the Bible and prayer. We better use it. Ephesians 6 says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our sword that we're to fight with. We must read it. But we got to read it. We have to memorize it. We have to meditate on it. We have to practice with it. Practice, just like the sling of the stone, we got to practice using it. It takes time. It's a spiritual battle. We have to apply it. It takes a lot of time and, and spiritual discipline to do that. We can't just say, oh, you know, somewhere in the Bible it says something about that. No, we, we have to be ready to fight our spiritual battles. And we have to, verse Ephesians 6, and pray in the Spirit. We have to pray. If we don't pray, we're not relying on God and His power. It's amazing what happens when we pray. When we really pray in the Spirit, we have this power, we have this peace, we have this direction, we have this leading. And when we do that, prayer gives us the faith to take the last step, the final step, the third R, which is in verses 48 to 50, where it says, and you already got the R, it's the running. He ran. Uh, verse 48, it says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it. And struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran toward Goliath. How could he do that? Scary, right? You think he would like dodge? You know, he went right for him. He did it by faith because he realized it wasn't David versus Goliath. We always call it David versus Goliath. It never was. It was God versus Goliath. That's why he ran. And we must run toward our giants. And face them by faith. What giant is God calling you to face today? What giant is he calling you? Maybe you've already given up. Maybe you're here today and you've been defeated. But today you're saying, you know what? If that little squirt David can do it, I can do it. I'm going to fight by faith. Maybe we need to realize that it's a spiritual battle that we're facing. Maybe we need to rely on God anew. Maybe we need to run and face it. 
That temptation, that sin, we have to run and face it. That temptation, that sin, that stronghold in our life. We have to take the word and we have to take prayer and fight it. We have to talk to somebody. Maybe it's a Christian counselor. Maybe it's just accountability, finding somebody to be accountable, a group. But we're going to deal with it. Maybe it's debt. Your giant is debt. You've got yourself in a deep, deep hole. And you say, I'm going to, instead of just ignoring it and hoping it goes away somehow. No, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to face that. I'm going to deal with that debt. I'm going to get some resources. I'm going to get people to come alongside of me. Talk to me. We've got lots of financial coaches in this church. Maybe it's your marriage and your family that is, has crashed. And, you're going to, and you say, God, I'm going to face it. I'm going to go and ask for forgiveness. I'm going to drag them to counseling. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to, to get the healing, the Christian counseling. I'm going to get the healing. Maybe it's a wound that you have carried for years. And you say, God, I'm going to face this wound. I'm going to share this. I'm going to, you're going to get your healing. I say that to a lot of times people. They keep hanging on to something over and over. And, and I say to them, and, 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 and someone just came to this week saying how they were really facing something. I said how proud I was of her. And I was like, but there's so many people. Ten years later, I'll say, listen, why are you still Hang on to it. Get your healing. Don't keep running away from it. Face it. Get your healing. Get it. Quit white-knuckling it and suffering, but get your healing. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a ministry at this church that God's calling you to. Maybe it's a ministry in this country, facing the many, many giants in this country. Maybe it's some other part of the world that God is calling you to face a giant. Will we face our giants, run toward them because we're, we realize that it's a spiritual war we're in. We're relying on God's power. We run and face it. Maybe you're saying you're not a Christian. You can't face the enemy. You can't face a Goliath because you're uh, 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 just like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress. You are uh, uh, in a prison, a giant's prison, and you can't get out. You're in the prison to Satan, to sin, and, and fear of death. But Jesus Christ, our Joshua, Jesus Christ, the son of David, came to kill the giants of sin, of Satan, of death. And we can share in his victory. We can't beat him. But we can share in his victory if we will realize our sin is against God. If we will rely on Jesus Christ's death. On that cross, he died on the cross for my sin, to make, take my sin, my punishment, my shame on himself. If we will rely on Jesus by putting our faith in him, and we will run to him in faith. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can have that life now. We're going to go to prayer in just a moment, and then we're going to close with the song. And, and I just want to encourage you, if there's something in your life you need prayer for, that, that you want someone to pray with you on, you don't have to do this, but we always have a prayer team on both sides, and you're always welcome to come during the prayer, during the song. Afterward, come on up. You know, they'll, wait, they'll hang out here for an hour with you. Whatever it takes, they'll pray with you. But there's always a prayer team up here to pray. But I just want to encourage you on that. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us today? Maybe here today and you know that you can't fight Goliath because you are a prisoner of war. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never become a Christian. You've never put your faith 
in the cross of Jesus Christ. But you can do that today. No matter what this giant cannot hold on to you today, if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be set free today, sharing in the victory of Jesus Christ on that cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can have that life right now by believing in Jesus. God, I real just a simple prayer. God, I realize my sin is against you. I repent of it. I turn away from that. Anything in my life that goes against your word, I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to run to the cross. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. I surrender my life to you, God. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, and it doesn't have to be fancy, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's a prayer of faith, you have now just been set free. You have just been made a brand new person in Jesus Christ. Everything that you have carried in here has been washed away. The shame, the sin has been washed away. You are a brand new person in Jesus Christ. And you are now free to fight. You've been set free to fight spiritual battles and have victory. Let me know if you've prayed that prayer because I'm going to encourage you. I'll be excited. I'll encourage you. I'll connect you with someone to help, help you grow spiritually. Let somebody know. Maybe came with a friend or family member. Let somebody know. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What giant are we facing? Maybe we're not facing. Maybe we've run away. Maybe we've surrendered already. But today, just like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress, we get back up. We realize, God, I realize this is a spiritual battle for my very soul, for my eternity, for the purpose in my life that you want to accomplish. And we say, God, I'm going to depend on your mercy and grace again. I'm going to rely on your mercy and grace.
I'm going to run into this fight. Wherever you call me, whatever it is, wherever it is, whoever it is, I'm going to run to your calling on my life. Father, please give us hope through your Spirit's power. Give us hope. Every person here, every one of us, give us hope to keep fighting, to keep trusting. Give us victory in Jesus Christ. Even if that victory means persevering in our battle. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.